Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to another edition of Midweek. I just thought I'd try something a little bit more upbeat for the start of the show. That was downbeat. Do you think? Hello, I, I didn't think it was everybody. particularly downbeat but it was a little bit camp. Do you think? Well, yeah. well Nick is here. Yeah, I'm obviously going off on you, not literally obviously. <laughs> that, 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 that's a picture I don't need. Yes. Uh, good evening everybody, welcome along to Series 10, Episode 7. It's the 18th of February 2015, just after 8 o'clock here in the UK. And it is midweek, Motorsport, the world's longest running motorsport magazine show, apparently. And it's John Hindorf along with Nick Damon here at Hindorf Towers tonight. Hello, Nick. Good evening, John. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, everybody. And Tim, of course, is up in London. He is our executive producer. Nice to have your company tonight. Well, and thank you for the compliment. No, it's very, very oh, good. Very very good. Very uh, and in a pa- start, isn't it? two hours of uh, of chat, of specu- speculation, of rumour, and perhaps some nonsense as well. Also, we'll be por- poking fun at the more ridiculous side of motor racing, uh, as we always do, and uh, trying to. There's a lot make of ridiculous sen- this week. There's a lot of ridiculous this week, and trying to make sense. If we can't p- make sense out of it, we'll poke fun at it. I think that's you know that seems reasonable, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay, that works for me. Uh, and in the next two hours, then uh, we will have what in this packed program tonight? Too? Uh, we will have uh, some news. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have Graham Goodwin mm-hmm. uh, in his shed. He might we'll not be in the shed tonight. He's Marshall Pruitt. Right. Uh, on the west coast. On the west, yes. Left coast, yep. Um, we have... Uh, he'll be talking about IndyCar and uh, apparently the Daytona 500 as well. Uh, yes, Which he may not know about yet. But no, he will. He, he'll know about that. We'll be asking him. And, and we'll uh, be uh, also interacting with you, the audience, on RadioLamont.com, on the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective, which is the forum for Midweek Motorsport on there. Hello to uh, Turbo Womble who we haven't had tuning in live for a wee while. Hello, Turbo. Nice to, uh, to have you. Mark A.J., uh, Christopher Matthias, uh, KP in there as well. And, of course, if you'd like to uh, get in touch with us on social media, it is at Specutainment or at Radio Le Mans. Simple as that. Chris Suku is going to miss the show because they just shut his, the door on the aeroplane and he's off to Glasgow, which is odd because he means he's going to fly over the top of us, eh, frankly? Uh, just well, it depends where we're starting. He's start, sorry, starting in London. Uh. Yeah, we can shout as he goes over. Chris! He should be, be able to see the huge lighting system that we have here. He'll really? certainly be able to see my neighbour's huge lighting system. I think you walk in the kitchen. Uh, well, yes. Mm. It, might, it might be detecting heat from the oven. Or heat from you. Yes. We have heard or your hot me. stuff, Tim. I'm mm. possibly not that warm. 
Turn down yeah. your thermostat. Uh, and I always do. It's Cabana Boy. He turns it up. He. Uh, Please stop, stop. That's another picture I, I don't need. Uh, we do have an exclusive on tonight's programme, and that's where we'll start once we've had the news jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Yes? Sorry, didn't hear the news jingle. Um, ah. <laughs> I, I just shut up out of habit. Uh, and it's become a bit of a tradition that we try and get uh, you the news first here on Midweek Motorsport. So around about a full hour uh, before this is broken by the rest of the motorsport uh, world, uh, we can give you a bit of news. In fact, we're not going to give you. We're going to let the people involved give you a stretching technology again tonight with two interviews coming up. First of all, from the man at the head of Jota Sport, that is the uh, team manager, uh, Sam Hignett, who joins us on the television. Phone and the the close season Sam seems sorry good evening Sam and the close season season seems to be getting uh, shorter and shorter and and you've got some news for us uh, hello Sam yeah good evening John yeah we certainly are certainly are, as you say it gets shorter and shorter but uh, we're getting keener and keener to get out there and get running again uh, you have been kind enough in the in the last season or so to come and speak to us first before you make any uh, big announcements uh, and we'll we'll talk about uh, that the, the the reason that you're speaking to us tonight but I can't have you on here and not talk about last year so let's take a little trip back in time into 2014 fairy tale year is that a, a reasonable description um yeah, fairy tales, fair enough. It certainly had its moments, um, the Le Mans win being one of them. Um, but, you know, we had some pretty tough times as well, coming back after the Silverstone incident, uh, missing out on the championship by just a few points were pretty tough. But, you know, the goal this year is the clean sweep. We're going to win Le Mans and we're going to win the LMS. And there's no reason why you shouldn't, except for the fact that... The competition, which was tough last year, is, is no easier this year, Sam. And, and in in some ways, you know, there's more names out there. There's more people being uh, enticed into the European Le Mans series. And with 20 cars in P2 at Le Mans, that's not a pushover either. No, absolutely not. And, you know, for the first time this year, more so than ever, with new chassis, new drivers, new teams, it's not as predictable either to see where the performance is going to be. But all we can do is carry on with our game, carry on working hard on the car and the team and the drivers and uh, improve and hope that we're one step ahead of everybody else. Well, you you can't stay exactly the same as you were last year because, in good news, Harry Tinknell's moved on to bigger and and better things and and gone off to be a a works driver with Nissan and Nismo on their P1 project. And congratulations to you for for honing that talent and finding that talent in the first place. Um, So there have to be some changes, but what can you tell us tonight in in the the exclusive here on Midweek Motorsport? So tonight, John, we can tell you that Felipe's staying with us, Felipe Albuquerque, for the ELMS. So Simon Dolan and Felipe Albuquerque will be together, plus an A and other, uh, competing in the ELMS this year. Now, uh, that's great because there's an element of continuity there, and certainly, the as you said, you know, trying to keep the band together, as it were, is is not always the easiest thing in motorsport. Uh, what about the chassis and what about the engine package? 
So the chassis changed its name, as I think has been talked about a little bit on this program. It's now a Gibson. Um, and also because the chassis was at the end of its homologation, we've done a little bit of an update to the car um, to try and improve serviceability, reliability, and some aspects of performance. So it should be slightly improved over what the Zytec was last year. But, you know, last year's car was pretty good with a Le Mans win and numerous other accolades to its name. You, you so men- we, we were pretty happy with it. You mentioned the, the opportunity for, for change. Were you tempted by any of the other packages out there? There, there seems to be more choice than ever now for a, a P2 engine and, and chassis uh, manufacturer. And, of course, the coupes are out there as well now. Yeah, I mean, it's always very interesting to see what the others are doing. But you, from a principle of a, a relatively small team, we're heavily invested in the Zytec uh, and the financial implications, first and foremost, of changing to another chassis are huge. Secondly, your knowledge base. You know, we've got three, four years' worth of knowledge of this particular chassis. And to wipe that slate clean and be starting from scratch is a big, big consideration to take. And thirdly, with the changing LMP2 regs in 2017, you know, we're we're in a good position right now. We can sit, we can watch, we can see where it all goes, and we'll make our decision as and when those rules have landed firmly in stamped paperwork. Yeah, all very, very good points. Um, I'm I'm already getting the tweets coming through. Uh, I I suggest I know what you're going to answer when I ask the the question here. Uh, You've mentioned two drivers there, uh, Felipe and Simon, and not the third yet. Um, When will that decision be made, and is it likely to be something you can talk about on here in in the coming weeks? Yep, it'll be made very soon. It'll be made very soon. Um, and we'll certainly be on here talking about it. I mean, it's uh, if we call it what was Harry Tinknell's seat, there's some <laughs> big, big shoes to fill there. But, uh, yeah, I think the, the candidates we've got lined up are uh, capable of doing so. Ask you a broad question without you giving anything away here, and I'm not trying to, to, to push you into doing that at all, Sam. Does it help at all that you had such a successful season last year and that Harry has gone on to do what he's doing in terms of being able to either approach uh, pro, semi-pro or if you like a development driver like Harry was um, or get other people to come to you and say actually I've heard Harry's gone you know I'd quite like to be part of this. Yeah it, it, very much so you know people are coming young drivers like Harry coming in into LMP2 as a stepping stone, hopefully, to LMP1. So if we prove, that, which we have done, that we are a viable stepping stone into a P1 seat, then, yeah, quite clearly it helps your proposition when discussing with new drivers. Do you think now, looking at, I mean, and, and I know that you don't walk around with blinkers on, you, you look at motorsport as a whole, not just the part that you're um, directly involved in, although, in fairness, you ought to have fingers in, in many pies, as I know with your MX-5s yeah. and things like that. But do you look at motorsport now, is a young driver coming out of single-seaters, European F3 or something like that, is P2 now a viable career option because the single-seater ladder is effectively drying up? Yeah, yeah, you're quite right. You know, it's a very, very good option, P2, for drivers. You're far more likely to end up in a professional paid seat in sports cars than you are in, you know, pursuing a single-seater career. 
So and, and we're really seeing a massive increase year on year in the number of drivers who likewise are becoming less blinkered towards single-seaters and are looking at sports car as their future. Yeah, and it makes a heck of a lot of sense, as you mentioned. The choices have, have, have expanded this year because we've got LMP3, of course, in the European Le Mans series. Was that something that you guys looked at as, as not necessarily a, a replacement for P2, but something that you possibly might be able to run alongside? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we decided just now not to pursue uh, anything in LMP3, but we're looking at it very uh, open-eyed. I think it's a great opportunity. With LMP2, a, a single-seater driver needs to be at an, a, a sort of FIA F3 level or above to be able to make the transition, we've found. With LMP3, we can hopefully lower that level of entry into sports car racing um, and begin training the driver earlier in their career in the, the arts and crafts of being a sports car driver. That's, that's, an, that's an interesting point of view, Sam. And, and from a business point of view, and let's not forget, dear listeners, that all of this has to make financial sense for somebody at the end of the day, and whether that's a, a, a benefactor, somebody who's pushing on a young driver, or you guys, Sam, a Jota making a business decision. Is LMP3 yep. a business decision that can be, a business case rather, that can be made to an up-and-coming driver? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It, you know, the, the difficult point to get across is the number of races, with there only being five races. But then when you start to look at the other side of it, which is physical seat time, then it really does compare to a single-seater season. So well, it, it's re-educating that it's not the number of starts you're going to make, but more the number of minutes your bum's going to be in the seat. And when you look at it from that perspective, yes, it's absolutely a viable financial option. And is, is that more financially attractive than, say, piling money into GP2 or GP3? It's a different ball game in terms of the amount of money uh, that's required when you look at LMP3 versus GP2, GP3. So, you know, if, if you haven't got enough money, then it's very financially attractive. Mm. But likewise, you know, we are seeing GP2 drivers, GP3 drivers, even Formula 1 drivers making inquiries now with LMP2 teams really? as to what the future can hold for them. So, as I say, people are becoming far more enlightened to the power of sports car racing on their career. Uh, I'll ask this of Felipe because I know we're going to get him on the phone in, in just a minute when we're finished with you. But I'll ask this of, of him, but I'll ask you as well. Do you think it's more important for a driver like Felipe's case he did a, a, a pretty much a full season with you to allow him to to keep his hand in if you will and then did his, his Audi stuff as well um, is it more important for drivers to keep racing even if they're not racing exactly the same thing as they were doing I, I'm not saying that P2 is a step down at all uh, Sam but you, you know what I'm saying is it better to race than to sit around being a quote unquote test driver yeah, absolutely, it's better to race. You know, I, I don't think there's a racing driver out there who wouldn't agree with the sentiment that you never stop learning. Um, and if you look at it with that view, then every time you're in the car, you're going to learn something, be it good or be it bad. And therefore, there is no argument not to race. 
Um, all good stuff. Um, the final question, of course, this has been point out, is pointed out as well by the collective. Um, not only have you lost Harry Tinknell uh, to Nissan, but you've lost Mark Janier as well, who was your super sub, uh, who was a, a going to be your super sub, of course, yes. uh, for Le Mans. Um, uh, Felipe presumably um, is still going to have his, his Audi duties uh, to, to deal with. So does that mean that there's two more names in effect to come from you? One for a full season and one for um, the, the Le Mans programme and possibly Spa as well? Yeah, quite right. So that, that, uh, the driver who's coming in for Spa and hopefully subject to entry and Le Mans, uh, we'll be able to announce them shortly after we announce the third ELMS driver. Right, got you. And, and that worked for you last year, didn't it, doing the wildcard entry uh, to Spa? It, I know it was something that you guys, and, and talking to Simon, uh, particularly Simon Dolan particularly, it was something that you guys had, had spoken quite seriously about. But it, it works for you on a number of different levels, doesn't it? Yes, I mean, the, the importance for us is getting the driving crew for Le Mans together because... You know, we're, we're very fortunate to have the re- relationship with Audi and thanks to them once again for loaning Philippe to us. But they do take him back for Le Mans. So we do lose a driver. And so bringing in that third driver to work with the other two, the two existing ELMS drivers, working with the team is one of the reasons we do it. And secondly, because there's no P1 cars in the ELMS, it's the only opportunity our guys get to hopefully be overtaken before they go to Le Mans. Yeah, that's yeah, that's very good. That again, there's only I keep saying there's only one way to learn about multi-class racing and that's that's to do it. Of course Absolutely. last year, yeah, exactly. Of course last year uh, Mark Chenier was also part of the whole um Audi Audi setup. Do we read anything into that for this year? Do, do we now start speculating uh, about um other Audi names or people who are on the fringes of Audi that might be your uh, driver for Spa and and Le Mans? As I said, John, we're, we're announced the third, the third driver for Le Mans shortly after we've announced the uh, full season driver. Right, well, promise me you'll come back and do it here first so we can get the exclusive again. Absolutely, we'll come and talk to you about it. Sam, absolute joy to speak for you. I've had the nod from... Uh from uh, uh, from up, up in London and Tim that we've uh, got Felipe on the other line so we'll cross across to him for, uh, in a wee moment and ask him uh, uh, some of the similar questions but thank you for joining us good luck for the rest of the season and thanks for thinking of us here on Midweek Motorsport Thanks John speak to you soon Yeah you certainly will you certainly will we need to know those other two drivers OK let's head on to the other line and as we now know it's Felipe Albuquerque who is one of those drivers for Jota Good evening and welcome back to Midweek Motorsport Felipe Hi John how are you? I am very very well where in the world are we talking to you at the moment? Well a bit far so I just kind of could squeeze now a few days with my girlfriend. So now I'm in Argentina in Buenos Aires. So a bit far. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for taking some time out of your holiday to join us here on Midweek Motorsport, Philippe. Above and beyond the call of duty. Hope we don't get you into too much trouble, but we'll get you back uh, relaxing as, as quick as possible. So Sam Hignett's just told us you're back on board with Jota. Just to give us a, a sense of, of how the deal works for you. So basically, this year, besides the program that has been already announced with with Audi, with uh, along Spa and, and Le Mans, I will continue again with uh, Jota Sport in the LMS. Um, so really happy to join again uh, the Jota and Simon Dolan in the car. So looking forward for that, and um, yeah, uh, we're going to try again. 
It was a, a very successful year, of course, uh, last year. Uh, you had uh, some fantastic racing. Uh, you had some downsides as well, we think particularly of Simon's accident at Silverstone in the, in the first round of the ELMS. You also had a film crew following you guys around. Now, we've, we've seen the fruits of their labours last year with Journey to Le Mans, but I didn't get the chance to talk to you too much about it. So before we talk about this year, let's talk about last year. How did you find having that film crew with you? Did you just forget about it after a wee while? Yeah, we, we just we just had an, we just had the guys along and uh, we were doing these shots uh, whenever we could uh, and suit them. So it was just, um, it was easy to do, to be honest. And we took it like really natural, all of us. And uh, it was nice because we had some nice shots and um, it was everyone good. But I think it was the lucky charm thing for, for, this, for that year because it all went up so well. And uh, winning Le Mans, the film was just about Le Mans and the preparation. And it just couldn't be perfect. Uh, you know, like, let's say if they were filming me in the Audi, it would be so disappointing, you know, if I was just, you know, if your film just lasts like 10 minutes because you're retired in the beginning. But... Uh, this is how it can be, Le Mans, but uh, it went all perfect for for Jota. What did you What did you feel about Le Mans? Were you pleased for your team? Were you disappointed not to be involved with Jota? How did your emotions? It must have been very difficult for you because clearly disappointment with what happened with the Audi, but some joy, I presume, of what happened with Jota. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I saw that they were really go- going well in the beginning of the race, and then. Uh, uh, through the race, you know, you just you just saw that they were always there on the front on the front uh, front group, and uh, the last hours, of course, last mainly the last hour, I could see getting coming closer when was every, a little bit more calmed down in LMP1. I uh, was also seeing that Jota they were coming well and they were just one box away from mine. Uh, I went there and uh, I, I I asked them how is the strategy now? Who is who are you going to put in next? And and they they told me like so it was actually kind of under control in the last uh, two hours I would say one hour and a half because it was coming another pro in for the Jota so it was I was really happy for them and uh, so basically Audi was winning and then Jota my other team it was winning too it was just perfect for the other guys let's say. <laughs> Uh, and let's let's talk about the season as a whole for you. The ELMS, uh, were you surprised at the level of competition at the ELMS? It was a tough old season when all came to all. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes and no. So I was um, surprised that, um, that, that it's a lot down to the, to, the, to the team, so to whoever goes in and then you just mix it up like you can it could be P5 or you could be actually P6, which actually happened to us sometimes. And, and then how all the strategy goes along and uh, uh, if the safety car comes in or not and then the accidents, of course. And it's amazing how much can happen also in the four hours because you know that it's still an endurance race, but you need to push more. So taking those risks sometimes costs some guys some uh, valuable points. Uh, in the other hand, uh, we were really happy um, with the pace that we put out, in, especially in qualifying. We were really strong and we were really uh, optimistic with our pace. But, uh, you know, being fast means uh, not much in endurance racing. It's all about uh, the four hours and the long distance. So uh, this is a very special thing, and especially for me and, and and more for Harry, let's say that he was coming from formulas, 
um, it just this was a great year to prove that. You mentioned there, it's only a four-hour race, and it's easy to forget just how much tactics have got to go into that four-hour race to make sure that Simon gets his time in the car, that you guys maximise what you're doing. And a, and a perfect example of that, I think, was was in Italy uh, at Imola when the tactics had to change because Simon had an issue with some tyres and you got back in the car. I think people don't realise just how much is going on in a four in what we think is a short race, but there's so much going on in four hours. Yeah, that's... So true, so true. I think Imola was a good example of that, and uh, because sometimes you commit to, to to a strategy that you cannot come over and came out again. So, um, but Imola was a, a true uh, example. So I was expected just to drive to jump in the car in the end, but uh, the first thing didn't went well for Simon. We were struggling with the tires. The track was tricky um, to drive, so I just jump in, and uh, Simon had a chat with the. Uh, with the team, with the, with the engineer, and talk about here and that, what was your problem. And then he saw that the car was performing well, and so I put back the car in the P2 or P1, I don't remember. So he just got the motivation back again and just go again, and he did a fantastic job that cost us the win. And um, it's it's funny to see, like, you need to always be ready to jump in the car in the next spin. So it's uh, it's a lot of action. It's uh, It's a lot of energy going on for four hours. A lot of people might think of a driver of your standing jumping into a, a P2 car is almost like a, a step back. Did you feel that continuing to race, albeit in a P2 car, was actually a help or a hindrance in your work with Audi over last season? And of course, it will be the same this year as well. Um, no, just I mean, it's uh, it's less powered car. Uh, Actually, people, because first I raced with the LMP2 car and then I just raced later on with the Audi in Spa and then Le Mans. Uh, well, he didn't race, but I just tried the pre-test and, and, and qualifying and all of this in Le Mans. But uh, it's good to have this experience because the LMP2 car has much less power, of course. So you need to make useful, really, of the corners that you have and to overtake the GTs on the right place and right moment, calculate um, the speed, the speed of corner of the the, 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 the the GTs on it, so you can actually pass them on the exit. With LMP1, I mean, you can go easier because I mean, if you don't pass the guy on the diving to the break into the to a certain corner, you can easily make it on the exit of it because you have amazing power and you can pass them on the straight. So it's just easier. Uh, the thing of LMP1 is just you just you still go much faster and uh, uh, miscalculations will cost you a lot and you cannot break so easily as you are going in LMP2. So it was a fantastic experience to have it both and just makes me more prepared. And uh, even last year I did uh, some racing with the GT. So I, I would say that I have now the experience of all the cars in that is going around Le Mans. So it's, it's, um, it's good to know what goes on the mind of each driver on each, each, each category. That's a very good point, actually, and I know from speaking to people like Marino Franchitti, David Brabham, who've done 
pretty much all of the classes that they find that it helps them even in the P1s to know what it's like to be a GT or a P2 driver. I think you make a very good point there. Uh, you also mentioned Harry Tinknell, of course, your teammate from last year. Now you're going to be racing against him this year. He's got the call up to the big leagues. He's going to be racing for, for Nissan. Does that surprise you or do you think he has got the skills and the aptitude? Is he going to make a good P1 driver? Uh, for sure, he will be a good P1 driver. He, he, he proved straight away on his debut season in the endurance uh, in LMP2 that he was already a very good LMP2 guy. And um, I'm really happy. And uh, it was just the perfect timing for him because uh, he, he just came along like uh, 12 seat, let's say, uh, into LMP1 this year with the nine places in Nissan plus another Porsche car going on into Le Mans another three seats so it's amazing for the i think it's a golden era at the moment that we are living in lmp1 um i was re- i am really happy and actually i texted him in the, the other day after some uh, you know phone calm down and uh, of his phone calm down because i know how it is experience when we are announced and the friends and family saying and, and some other people saying congratulations so i told i told him congratulations to and just um we will now race against each other, and I don't know how, we, how it's going to be our talks, you know, because now how you're feeling the car, you know, I think he will all the time <laughs> be lying to me, and as well, I will lie to him. Yeah, the car, it's not going so well. It's going well. Very know, good. So for sure, we will hide some games, but uh, I, say, I still said to him, like, still, you need to look to the mirrors. And he said to me, well, it sounds promising the straight, so... Watch out. And uh, it was just funny. So it's, uh, it, it was funny talking with him. And for sure, we, when we will eat in the race, we will, race, we will laugh for sure. It's a heck of a season we've got in prospect. Uh, and if we look at the ELMS, uh, if we might, uh, Philippe, uh, just to finish off here, we talked about the comp- competition from 2014. Well, my goodness me, no lack of competition for 2015. Jota have got to be thought of, though, as one of the championship favourites, surely, and, and you will want to win that championship for Simon and the rest of the team? Definitely. I mean, I really want to win this this, this championship, and uh, as me as well as, as Jota, of course, and uh, especially having, again, the last round in Estoril, uh, it would be a, a hell of a ending season. season. Uh, the competition is tougher this year, it seems so, even if Alpine is not joining again. Uh, we are definitely a favourite to the, to, the, to the title. Uh, as with the second position, but uh, more closed cars are coming in, so we have a lot of respect on those cars, those brand new cars. Uh, but as well, we have some uh, new upgrades in our car. Now it's a Gibson car, a uh, lot of potential there. It will uh, be very interesting for me to 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 develop or to 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 go through those upgrades and to see how the potential the car has, and to come down on the lap times that we did last year. Uh, so it's going to be promising, but we cannot say that we are very strong or we are the main candidates because new guys came on, new cars, so everything is just um, it's just higher level. We wish you all the best. Thank you for taking some time to talk to us on Midweek Motorsport. And whatever happens, I definitely want an invitation to the end-of-season party at Estoril because I've got a feeling it's going to be an absolute cracker. Yeah, thanks a lot. We will push for that. I'm sure you will. Felipe Albuquerque, thank you very much indeed for joining us on Midweek Motorsport. And Sam Hignett before that. So exclusive news then that Felipe rejoins uh, Jota uh, for 2015. It's uh, half past 
eight. Graham Goodman, DailySportsCard.com's editor, joins us on the line. Nick Damon's still here, though. Nick, say hello. Hello. Thank you. That'll do. <laughs> I could just have that in a hot cake. First, first of all, not groundbreaking news, but good news in so many different ways that Felipe is back with that squad and and both Sam and Felipe they're very very upbeat about the chances as I think they, they have every right to be lucky uh, not to actually take the title last year uh, it did show and it's something Felipe covered in a conversation I've had with him the last couple of days that you know the with such a short championship of the European Le Mans series just five races you cannot afford to make the error, have the bad luck that they had at Silverstone last year when they were, frankly, cantering to a deserved win at that stage. So, um, first and foremost, it's great news he's back because it raises the game in the LMS. Uh, it's the, you know, this is the foundation to uh, what is definitely going to be a title contending squad, whoever the third driver is. Um, and, you know, well, from me to you and from, from me to the listeners, uh, Felipe is hands down one of the nicest blokes in the paddock. Uh, it's great to have him in the LMS. And proof positive that he's taken time out of his few days away with his girlfriend uh, in South America to talk to us t- tonight. Uh, a couple of points uh, that you, you bring up there that, and, and that was brought up, and, and there's clearly a little bit of confusion. Simon Dolan, full season. Yes. Felipe Albuquerque, um, not uh, will, will be full season of ELMS but won't be in the car at Spa and Le Mans because of his Audi commitments. So what we're waiting for, just to uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Graham, is a driver to replace Felipe at Spa, as Sam says, if they get the entry for Spa, and I'm sure they will, and for Le Mans, and then the third full-season ELMS driver. That, that I've, I've read that right, haven't I? 100% correct. So we're waiting for two driver announcements from Jota, uh, a, a third driver for the LMS, and as you quite rightly say, a replacement for Felipe for uh, the two WEC rounds that uh, Jota traditionally do. There Sounds is though, like the, the plot of a film to me. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there is, though, um, uh, an important difference this year, and I think uh, Felipe mentioned it to you in the interview. Uh, if he didn't mention it to you, he certainly mentioned it to me, which is there's been a change in the driver's hours yes. uh, regulations for the LMS this year, which means that... Um, the necessity to have the the, the uh, gentleman driver in the car for as long as they did last year is reduced. And it means that a platinum driver like Felipe can now this year do two stints. Now that, of course, in terms of his preparation for his LMP1 duties, is absolute gold dust. So it's even mm. better this year in terms of the uh, the way in which this, this, this program gives him the opportunity to prep for uh, his LMP1 uh, turn at, uh, at Spa and Le Mans. So that's double good news, I think, for, for Felipe Albuquerque and for Jota. A couple of things that I want to pick up on Felipe before we go back to what Sam said earlier. Um, I, I like his attitude, um, and sure, Adam among a number who are, are tweeting to say how funny is it that he, he's already admitted that his chats with Harry about the cars might not be, former teammate, of course, now with Nissan, uh, might not be completely true this year. But I, I, I like his attitude in so many things. And his comments about driving different classes of cars there, Graham, I think very, very sensible. Absolutely. I should expect from someone who's got a fair amount of experience across a lot of different forms of motorsport now. I mean, the uh, the kind of 
issues that he raises or the, the, the reasons why this is a good program for him that he raises uh, are particularly salient ones. I mean, talking about dealing with traffic, talking about maintaining pace, talking about actually things like uh, racing um, pit stops and dealing yeah. with the belts and dealing with the team. And, you know, it's all good stuff and, and it makes perfect sense. The one surprise I think I'd, I'd actually have is that perhaps it's Felipe again and not Rene Rast. Uh, that link-in with the Audi team from last year clearly continues. Uh, but I do wonder whether or not we're going to see Rennie Rast uh, in a similar deal somewhere uh, before too much longer. Um, Nick Dearman sitting alongside me. We've long said, Nick, and and frankly, I, I think Philippe underlining our thoughts, uh, our points of view, it must be better to race than to stand at the back of a of a pit with a, an expensive set of headphones and a T-shirt on. I think in, unless you are completely fixated on getting into F1 in a blinkered, may I say it, 15-year-out-of-date concept, then you've got to race. Mm. Um, we had a conversation um, about uh, Harry and, and his uh, meteoric rise to fame, which has no doubt been helped by working with, with Felipe last year. Um, I was interested, the person I was talking about, Oliver Turvey, has picked up a ride in Japan now. Because mm-hmm. um, I thought, you know, I'm a big fan of Oliver, and he's in another one. Percy's gained greatly from running with Jota. Yeah. And some bloke called Mark Genet did all right of, uh, as well. So, um, yes, he's got himself um, a Nissan you know, driver. Yeah, it's a good question. And the question I would have, perhaps, for for, for Graham and his expertise is, is the second professional driver... I mean, I, I assume that's a financial necessity rather than a tactical necessity. I always thought having two two pros only able to run 50 minutes each in uh, the LMS wasn't the best utilisation of resources as far as track time. But I assume it's a financial thing. Is that right? I uh, don't know is the honest answer. They're not likely to tell us, I think, is what it comes down to. Uh, it certainly worked for them last year. Could they have run with two drivers? Yes, they could. I'll have to look back at the regulations as to what you could do with that combination of drivers because it does differ. Uh, the driving time does differ depending on the number of drivers that you actually nominate right. for the car. And, uh, what, the... and what variety of driver you mm. had. If you have, for example, if you had a platinum in Philippe, what's Simon Dolan now? Silver. Simon's still a silver, is yeah. he? Right, and, and then a bronze... That would be different from if you had a platinum, a gold, and well, a silver. I can certainly tell you the maximum for this year, the maximum driving time for a gold or a platinum driver is an hour and 40 minutes, so two stints. Uh, the minimum driving time for a bronze... Is that with or, three drivers? With two drivers. With uh, two minimum drivers. driving time for a bronze or a silver driver for two drivers is two hours, 20 minutes. That changes pretty radically when you've got three drivers. If the crew is composed by two platinum or gold drivers... Yeah. Maximum driving time for a golden platinum driver is an hour and 30. Minimum right. driving time for a golden platinum driver is 40 minutes. And yeah. therefore, the minimum driving time for the bronze and silver is one hour 30. It changes again if you've only got one platinum or gold driver. And at that point, it means that uh, the platinum and gold driver could do one hour 40 minutes. Yeah. And uh, there's, there's a minimum driver driving time for a bronze or silver driver of 40. So they've I think that's changed this year. Yes, that's what that's changed this year. Yeah, because it's definitely changed. last year, that wasn't it. They could only do one stint each, couldn't they? Correct, that's right. Correct. The, the changes come, the specific changes come for a driver lineup of three drivers where they've Correct. got two platinum or gold drivers. Now, Correct. what you can therefore presume, because certainly Felipe in talking to me has said that he'll be able to do two stints, is that uh, obviously if, they, if their other driver is... Um, a uh, a 
platinum or gold, they'll be doing one stint. And yes. if it's not, uh, they'll still be doing one stint. So I think that it's going to be an interesting selection. My guess would be that it's going to be another young gun because it worked very well for them last year. Great. Um, and, you know, we'll wait and see how this thing comes together. But uh, Jota have got a, you know, a hell of a history now of encouraging talent through and of success, uh, not just success against... ELMS competition, but success against the best that the, the world of LMP2 can throw at them. They've had great success at that spa race. They're coming back to Le Mans this year as the defending champions. Yeah. Uh, who's to bet against them now? I, I, I did think to myself, um, whilst I was talking there to Philippe, and I, it's something that I thought better of asking, if I'm honest. We were talking about Harry, his former teammate, getting an LMP1 ride for the full WEC season. We're not talking about Felipe getting that LMP1 ride for the full season. Is that a surprise to you, Grim? Um, I think the difficulty here is if that were to happen, it means that either he was going to be taking the uh, the one full-time seat that was available, which, of course, has gone to Holly Jarvis, mm-hmm. or someone else is being, in effect, demoted. Or he and would I leave th- Audi. Or he'd leave Audi. So the, the yeah. reality there is that uh, you've got to look at the best selection for Tom Christensen's seat. And realistically, that was either going to be a punt uh, at a not very experienced LMP1 driver or the most experienced one they've got left on the roster. And the two that they had available to them were, of course, Ollie Jarvis and Mark Genet. Uh, Mark Genet very clearly has gone to Nissan. Um, beyond that, you've then got the three guys that will be in the third car this year, of those three, I would uh, hazard a an opinion that uh, the the more likely of the three would probably have been Marco Bonanomi because he's got more experience in a P1 car by dint of doing most of the testing. Um, beyond that, you've got René Rast and you've got um, uh, and you've got uh, Felipe Albuquerque, neither of whom yet I've got very much by way of either testing or racing. Uh, mileage and of course last year the disaster that befell the third car at Le Mans means that uh, Felipe didn't get a race yeah yeah absolutely the other thing that I want to talk about before we move on um, is what Sam said about development about business with P2 and indeed LMP3 and admitting that they'd had a long hard look at that and at the moment it's not quite for them but believing I think this is the key thing that it, it is a solid business case for a P3, uh, for a, a team like Jota, which is, I think is all good news. But also how he, he couched that, Graham, saying, you know, it allows people without the experience of perhaps Euro F3, downforce cars, etc., who are going to jump into a P2 car and be comfortable in their development. Maybe people from a GT background or something like that, they're going to be able to jump into a P3 and, and feel relatively comfortable. I thought that was an interesting take from Sam, business-wise, as well as developmental-wise in career terms. Well, look, I mean, the, the only uh, parallel we've got is what's happened in the United States with LMPC, and certainly that supported a number of teams commercially through some pretty choppy waters. So in terms of the general funding mechanism for P3, there's no reason to expect it should be any different to what we've seen with LMPC, and that's a pretty good place to be. Um, for a pretty long uh, stretch of time, it is a building year this year with just one car, uh, the you know the Ginetta that's going to be on the grid uh, for the ELMS. But there's lots of talk about where else we might see Ginettas 
later this year. And beyond that, of course, we've now got three different programs beyond the the, uh, the the generator program to have announced their intention to build cars. So, you know, clearly people are seeing the the potential for the LMP3 market. Certainly, John, I'm sure you've had conversations with people in the industry. I've had a lot of calls, a lot of conversations from people who are very interested in P3. Will this year see it at its peak? No, this is year one. It's going to have its growing pains, its teething troubles. There's all sorts of theories as to where the potential pace of those cars might be, you know, up to and including the fact that they might be grazing the back of the P2 field uh, because the, the apparent weight the cars were running at, uh, the kind of power that that Nissan V8 will be pushing out, the fact that the aero on those cars, I think, is going to surprise people. This is a full flat floor car, remember? Yes. Um, you know, th- this, this is going to be a quick little car. And having seen uh, the latest iteration of the Ginetta as recently as this week, and uh, having seen uh, something other than a render for the first time, uh, you know, a 3D model of the car, you know what? It looks like a P2 car. Make no mistake, there is nothing kind of slightly CN gawky about this. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with the CN car, by the way. But you know what I mean by CN that. CN Gorky they... didn't didn't he play left <laughs> <or> somebody? <laughs> oh, but no, they, what I mean by that is that this, with the CN car, with the CN Sorry. car and its and its and its dimensions, that the bubble uh, cockpit can on a CN car look at slightly out of proportion. It yes. doesn't look like that on an P3 well, car like at all. Well, the old C2 cars. If you, I mean, yes, indeed. If yeah, absolutely old, old right. Enough, remember the old C2 cars, like the, the Spices and the absolutely various bits right. and pieces, had the same size windscreen mm. as, as a, a C1 I'm car. I'm just wondering why the drivers brings it into the pit if that's a CN Gorky Park. Ah, very good. Oh, yeah. God, here we go. Right, He's here I mean, all week. What, what, what I think we're going to see is a proving year. I think there's going to be a learning year for the teams. I think there's going to be a learning year for the regulators. And beyond that, uh, what we're looking at in year two, particularly, and then almost certainly for year three, beyond that, when the other cars are in and better developed, is whether or not this is going to bed down and be part of sports car racing's medium term future. I suspect the answer is that it will be part of the medium term future, but a lot depends on everybody pulling together, getting those cars out there, getting them quick, getting them reliable, uh, but most of all, getting them on track. Thanks to uh, the guys from Jota for breaking their news here. The uh, rest of the world, other than DSC uh, and Racer, getting that in about 15 minutes' time. Good for Sam. Uh, Thank you to Sam and uh, the rest of the team for for coming on here. Tim, before we go on with some more sports car news, where's Chris Suku? He's on a plane. Yeah, where's his plane? His plane is uh, just uh, to the uh, east of Glasgow at the moment. In fact, it's just landed. Has it? Yes. Or he might be tuning back in again. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so, four minutes ahead of schedule, it has landed. Well, uh, Chris, if you are just tuning back in and you've uh, you've just missed the uh, the interviews tonight, our uh, exclusive, they will be available on the... Uh, so on he the doesn't know about Alonso yet? No, he doesn't know about Alonso. Oh, no. blimey, that's <laughs> a shocker. <laughs> Um, yeah, I never thought that would happen. No. Well, you know what? Not a lot with you and a girl from Clapham Neck. There's been a lot of theories about Fernando, but I mean, but Rallycross, I mean, who'd have seen that coming? And with, can he hear the drums? With, with, with <laughs> Jensen and Tom Christensen all in the same car. I, at the same amazing. time. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How'd you all fit in the car, Alan? Uh, I don't <laughs> I remember that. Quarter nine, just after, uh, here on Midweek Motorsport. It's uh, Series 10. Yes, this is the 10th year of Midweek Motorsport. We're on episode seven this week. Uh, I'd like to say this is the 11th year of Midweek Motorsport. It is, yes, of course. Spread across two calendar years. Yes, that is right. I'm sorry, I, f- I forgot about that. Uh, the 11th year, but the 10th series, because one was spread over two calendar years, Tim has uh, ably reminded me. Um, other sports car news, Graham, before we let you go, um, and a lot of sports car news this week that is kind of tied in with, with street car news, and I'll start, first of all, with one that, that kind of doesn't fit in with that, but it's true, and this is Radical. Radical are going to go back to the Nordschleife and have another crack at the, the outright lap record. Because they can. Uh, yeah, and they, they're going <laughs> to do what you? they've done be- before, and uh, they're going to drive one of their cars from the UK um, to the Nordschleife, change the tyres to the same uh, Ford Dunlop tyres that actually they set the previous record on, uh, with uh, Michael Verges, I think, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I remember rightly, in his jeans. In a pair of jeans and a, and a, and a green uh, sweatshirt. Cool as a cucumber, the boys. Uh, and they're also going to have a bit of a crack with the same car uh, on slicks. Uh, it's, uh, the difference this time is it's not going to be one of their open-top cars. It's going to be the newer Radical RXC. And they are also revealing, I think at the Geneva show, a 537-horsepower version of that car. That is mental. That's absolute. I mean, if anybody has ever been anywhere close to an RXC, and I've been uh, driven round uh, very quickly by Bradley Smith and uh, Brands Hatchel in an RXC, that thing is an absolute weapon. Mm, I can't wait to see the onboard uh, of that. By the way, if you haven't seen it, um, and when I was fixing up the interview with Sam Hignett uh, earlier today, I did speak to him about this. The Laurent Vantour onboard lap of Bathurst, the fastest lap ever in uh, timed competition uh, around that, by anything, uh, the onboard of that. You need to watch it twice because the first time you really can't believe it, particularly if you've been around there. I'm staying with, with sort of streetcar stuff. A new Aston Martin Vantage GT3, but this one is kind of for the road. Yeah, sort of. Uh, 100 kilos lighter. Um, 100 600... grand more expensive as well. Fair enough. Uh, but only making 100 uh, of them, so instantly anybody that's lucky enough to be able to afford them. It's and like women's look... underwear, isn't it? The, the less there is, the In more expensive it seems to be. <laughs> there's less of it. Yes. And yet it and costs it's more. more exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, but um, yeah, look, it's, it's one of these things, isn't it? There are certain brands that if they bring out, we talked about this, didn't we, John, uh, about Porsche, um, and the 911 GT America and, uh, and the future for those cars that um, when you've got a very limited number of cars being built uh, by a particular brand that if you are lucky enough to be able to afford it and lucky enough to be able to get on the list to buy it then the reality is that you've got a hell of an investment on your hands and I think the same is going to be true for uh, those motor cars so um, look, anything that looks anything like a, an Aston Martin Vantage is a, a gorgeous looking car that goes extraordinarily well it will be well. a V12 it will be a V12, and, and a, re- a revised V12 with, I think it's 600 brake horsepower uh, this time. So that's going to be a quick car. Lots of carbon fibre, 100 kilos lighter than the standard Vantage S, which I think from memory is a bit lighter than the standard Vantage V12 anyway. Yes, it uh, is. So it's, you know, it's that fantastic phrase, track-focused. 
good on you, I say. Uh, However, you know, if that's if that's not track focused enough for you, <laughs> yes, there is an Aston Martin that is uh, going to come out in even smaller numbers, uh, which is now that phrase hypercar, which is the yes. Aston Martin Vulcan. Um, mm. which we think over 750 horsepower from the V12, which puts it up there with the 177 kind of output. Um, as yet, we've seen nothing but teaser videos, but allegedly being uh, unveiled at the Geneva Motor Show, which is coming up shortly. Yep. And that would be di- in direct competition, I guess, Graham, with another British mark shouting loudly about a car we've been expecting for a while. And this is the, the new McLaren... GTR. Yeah, with the pictures actually uh, being released today by McLaren in Harrods livery, uh, which was a surprise to me um, and very nice to see too. And Dave Clark's car, uh, oddly enough, that is looked after by Sam Hickner Jota. Um, that uh, that's, uh, that that part next to it, and you can really see the family likeness between the two cars. A wonderful thing to see. Uh, the Aston Martin Vulcan, very keen to see. How uh, what we're going to see of that one? I gather the launch uh, is going to be they're going to drop it onto the uh, runway at Port Stanley uh, <laughs> in tribute. So that would be Very quite good. nice. To see. <laughs> but um, and Mike, Mike, is Mike Newton having one done in the uh, in the right colours? That would be good, what... wouldn't it? That would be good. I think you know right now if Mike's listening, I'm sure he is. Good evening, Mike. Um, good evening, collective. He'll be saying um, that uh, that he'll be rushing to the phone right now uh, and on the phone to uh, Dave King and the boys uh, at Gaden to see whether or not he can't get just that. But you know, isn't it great, John? There wasn't that long ago in the depths of recession that genuinely people were writing about the end of the hypercar, the end of the supercar, that this would be the, the end last. of the sports car. Yeah, and, and all of a sudden, you know, here we are with cars that are, you know, with ridiculous power outputs, but a lot more efficient. Um, and, you know, I, I get bored with talking about the, uh, it's a new golden era. But, you know, it does seem that every six months, something, you know, equally exciting as the two, three, four cars we've just covered in 45 seconds, um, you know, uh, are kind of spoken about. So, the, the- you know, well, you know, we'll wait and see what comes out from, from this. But for the moment, um, you know, that lottery win that I'm sure is there in my in my uh, near-term future uh, looks even more exciting. The big question is, it was, is probably, I suppose, from, and this in this forum, is uh, would either of the Vulcan or the new McLaren make it onto a track as a track car and I suppose no. that depends I, no. I don't think that's in the plans no no I mean I, I, I don't see that I mean much as you know there's a there's the usual kind of um internet forum kind of chatter about we'd love to see Begone it's not going to happen and the reason for that is there's not really a formula at the moment that supports it and to get those things to be a proper racing car not just the purchase price, but the servicing uh, costs, um, and more to the point, the parts that were required for the inevitable issues and mm. and life finger parts, it's just not a practical matter. The only chance, I know this is something you're fond of, John, as a prospect, is that P1 in the future gets to be more like a hypercar and yep. less like a prototype, but I just can't, with the success of the current P1s, I can't see that being a uh, near or medium term uh, option that they're prepared to take. 
Graham, thanks very much. Um, I know you've got uh, other duties tonight, so you're actually not even joining us from GGHQ. I'm not. Uh... I'm, uh, I've actually just had the, uh, the the young lady concerned, and the young lady, by the way, for anybody uh, that's interested, is 11 years old and is my lovely daughter, has just presented me live on air with a picture of a lioness that she's just drawn. Excellent. So uh, I'm going to go back and uh, we're going to go and do some <laughs> colouring in. Excellent. Stay within the lines, Graham. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Graham <laughs> Goodwin, editor of dailysportscar.com. Uh, I think Aston the rules Martin... are you're allowed to have one wheel over. Oh, OK. Just the uh-huh. one. Yeah. Um, Aston Martin Vulcan? No. <laughs> Aston Martin Vulcan or McLaren or the, the new Ferrari for you, Nick? Not the Ferrari. Not the Ferrari? Twin turbo. I don't want to be associated with people who buy Ferraris. Right. I'm a Maserati person, remember. The other thing that came out this week, or the pictures that have come out this week, and people have, uh, motoring journalists have started to drive, and I should have mentioned this to Graham, so I apologise for letting him go, is the new Audi R8. Now oh, we, yeah, that's pretty. Now, we know the the new Audi R8 race car has been running since ooh, last year. Sometimes we had video of it running at Monza in an Audi test. But uh, I spent some time with Romelo Liebchen, who is the customer services uh, guru for Customer Racing Services Guru for Audi, whose project effectively that is. Uh, had a long chat with him, uh, killing some time in uh, in the bar of the plane on the way back home from uh, Bathurst. And the, uh, the upshot of that was that they weren't allowed to even talk about customer cars, um, never mind works cars, until the streetcar has been seen and been seen properly. I believe that will be out of Genoma. I've just seen some stuff today. They're doing some... Um, it's, it's Still all, disguised. It's all buzzing up. Well, there's someone, someone actually posted an undisguised picture. Oh, really? I think it was on the Facebook page. It was, I think it was a car going through its emission test. Uh, and confirmed, by the way, from Romolo uh, and also in the press today, that the street car and therefore the race car on launch will be V10 only. There mm-hmm. may be a street V8 That's later. The plan, but they're later. starting fast and going faster rather than the other way. 603 horsepower in the street car. And they, the plans are... No, it, normally aspirated. Ah, but the plans are later in life to go smaller engine twin turbo. Um, they are, I think the racing guys are against that. There's a big move away. There's, there's a real, and this is a, a very interesting topic. I'm interested to know what the, the collective think about this. There is a real uh, split in the GT3 ranks um, at the moment, uh, which is also a bit of a dichotomy between GT3 and prototypes. Prototypes, particularly P1, are going smaller, more efficient engines, mainly turbocharged, and certainly with some hybrid. Uh, hybridization in GT3 the general consensus I would say is that they want bigger normally aspirated engines because Why? because you can't police the turbos and this is this is the big talking point um, after Bathurst um, and after the performance of both Bentley and uh, uh, Bentley and Nissan at, at Bathurst um, that it's more difficult in GT3 to police turbocharged They're engines. They're not on air restrictors then. No, fair enough. So it's it, that that I think is a an interesting issue. But the new Audi is uh, is nominally uh, out now. It's it's broken cover, so I expect to see the new race car. And I will be shocked, near staggered, 
if there are not a slew of brand new Audi R8 race cars, LMS, whatever they're going to call mm. them, um, at the Nürburgring to try and win the 24 hours. And when will, and will, when will Ivor Brookers uh, just convert a road car? Well, when he finds a new road car, he's got he's, <laughs> he's, he's about three iterations back on the one that he's got, isn't he? <laughs> Uh, so there we are. It's coming up to uh, to nine o'clock. Do you want to do still to come now, Tim? Or do you want to... Midweek motorsport. And if you thought that hour was packed with insights and comments, wait till you hear what's next. In hour two, then, we might inform me. We'll have more from uh, Nick Dearman, who's alongside me. We'll be talking two wheels as well as four from the left-hand coast of uh, America. We'll have from racer.com. Marshall Pruitt, who'll be talking controversy at Daytona in qualifying. Uh, we'll be talking about body kits and also more IndyCar news as well. And we'll have uh, your comments too on uh, Specutainment and at Radio Le Mans. At Specutainment and at Radio Le Mans. And of course on the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective at RadioLeMans.com. That's all still to come here on Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. That was funky. It was funky. So it is time to get. It is time to get funky. Oh, sorry. That was. Who was that? I've no idea. Oh, you see, funky that's town. Your room. Boys town. No. Town of no. fools. No. Is it a town? No. No. Uh, Ipswich town. No. Just to prove that we're live now that uh, Chris Suki's plane has landed. Uh, yeah. There's two football matches going on tonight. They're both one 0 Ah, excellent. Yeah. Very good. Uh, you I bet there's more than two. Yes, but uh, two that I can see. Uh, you mentioned uh, photos emerging on the internet. Yes, mm-hmm. they do often. How much interest do you have in uh, Pedro de la Rosa, Nick? <laughs> well, a lot more than you'd expect. Really? Could you Pedro quantify Rosa, it? He is a double European RC racing champion. I just want you to quantify I don't want you to give me his biography. Just Seven quant- out of ten. Seven out of ten. How about 1.76%? No, because then it's 70%. Mm. Uh, because uh, as part of our irregular feature, things that racing drivers post on social media... Right. And often wish they hadn't. Mm-hmm. Jensen Button has yeah. uh, posted a photograph of himself in Spain, standing outside a branch of uh, Santander, uh, where the window is adorned by a much larger-than-life... Uh, Pedro de la Rosa advertising right. their low interest rates yeah. what's he sponsored by them to do then advertise their low interest rates well yes clearly but well, he was a Ferrari test driver up until the end of the year wasn't he and they have Santander have a deal with Ferrari and well, I suppose and yeah, previously we got, we, he was a McLaren test driver when yeah. they had a deal with Santander and we have um, you know, and he's Spanish Button, and, and so we are they. have uh, Jessica Ennis and um Rory McElroy doing the Santander bank adverts. I'm sure in Spain they have three Worm sports stars doing the same badly acted, poorly scripted adverts. <laughs> uh, moving on, just after nine o'clock. Then I'm not going to move on actually. Uh, oh. uh, I've got another e- example of uh, things that racing drivers post on social media. All right. Uh, Scary. Yes. Uh, Sam Tordoff. Yes. Who is a name that you may not know. I know but, it. We know uh, it. I'm talking about the listeners, uh, but he is... He used to race in Porsche Carrera Cup, amongst other things. He is going to be Andy Prio's teammate at uh, the uh, BMW BTCC team this season. 
As is Rob is that, Pollard. That's the uh, IHG Rewards uh, team, isn't it? Not SI Racing. He um, he uh, posted this. He went to the cinema on Friday night. Very with nice. His girlfriend. Oh, I need Barry Norman music. No, not yet. I saw the preview on Monday. Not. And it was terrible. We're going to do not that yet. later. That's not uh, what he saw. No. Did he see Shades of Grey? He did. I, I, you know, I can't believe the amount of money that film's made. I really can't. It's just a couple of bottoms and some whips. Did Did the amount of money that the book made not give you a clue that the film might go the same way? It's mummy porn, isn't it? Can we go back to uh, motivating? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, interesting that you should be mentioning BMW as you were, because um, the IHG uh, Rewards uh, Club. Club uh, sponsored car, which is the Andy Prio car, and we'll have a bit more from Andy uh, throughout the season as he goes through his ELMS and BTCC season. Um, well, um, it's more than just a hotel chain, and to prove it, uh, there's a video about to pop up on mm-hmm. RadioLamont.com, which uh, Nick has edited together, <laughs> of the sort of things you can do with your reward club points. And we made some people um, quite wealthy with their points over... Yeah, I missed that. On a weekend, twenty-five thousand points apiece for, I think, three or four people, and we have got some more of those through the season, not only on IMSA Radio but also here on RadioLamont.com. Um, a fast drive round uh, round Daytona and uh, video evidence coming uh, shortly. We'll post the link uh, onto the front page of RadioLamont.com. Worth look. Are you going to put that on RC Racing's uh, site? Please? I shall upload it tonight and give you all the links in the morning perfect we'll tweet that out so look for that uh, later this week and uh, staying with PTC News PTC News I, w- yes. I want to mention that this weekend I'll be using I'll be earning some uh, IHG Reward Club points of my own well excellent and will you be collecting a, a selection of interesting sachets that we have to have a coffee and tea at your house the next three years mm. uh, I'll be staying at a Crown Plaza this week how very nice yes. um, it's better quality tea and some coffee chassis then. yes I would think so they all have uh, little those little like yeah. Nespresso machines. The little don't. fist pump and high five from Johnny Palmer now going, yes! Yeah. Some, food, some yeah. decent drink. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, staying with BTCC, more teammates announced this week, Tim. Uh, yes. Yesterday, wasn't it? A, a uh, pair of champions will be racing together. Is that uh, what we're calling them? A pair of double champions. Yeah. A pair of double champions. Four titles uh, in the last 12 years between them, 13 years between them. Uh, and they would be Colin Turkington and Jason Plato, uh, who are part of a four-car effort, along with Aaron Smith and uh, Warren Scott, who you may remember as uh, being a bike racer, Nick. I do. Mm. They're, are they all driving Passats? They're called Volkswagen CCs, they're not Passats, and VW oh, would like to yes. They're the like they uh, well, emphasise that they are they, not Passats. Well, they need to make a because, of course, the new Passats just come out, so it'll be last year's model if it was the Passat. Passar, darling. We're Passar. I don't think VW have got anything to do with it, though, have they? So it doesn't make any difference. Um, Someone's got deep pockets for those two drivers to do it, not The publicity photos have uh, matte black cars in them with no sponsors on them, so I suspect yes, that there'll sure be a livery <laughs> launch at a later date. J- Jason uh, brings a lot of money because of his personal sponsors, so he doesn't actually need play- paying. He needs to find somewhere to race. So... He, he needs to find somewhere to, to put his sponsors on, therefore they pay his wages, which is it's a it's a brilliant uh, business model. It's nice to see Colin getting a drive because normally normally he yeah, wins a championship and then gets fired for lack of finance. Well, I was sitting next to Sheds actually on the way back, Gordon Shedden, um 
from, from Bathurst. From Bathurst, yeah. Um, I'm just finishing a sentence for you because we haven't got time for you to hesitate like that. Okay, very sorry. And I mean, you know, and he's wondering what he's going to be doing this year as well. So, is he not confirmed. Well, he knows what he's going to be, uh, which team he's with. What he doesn't know is which car he's going to be in. Correct. A Honda of some sort, yes. And SX got a chance. We will, uh, we will be keeping an eye, as I say, on BTCC. I think the uh, scrutineers might disagree with that, Nick. <laughs> Especially as it's got a hybrid on it, That's, which wouldn't be allowed. Not allowed. No, uh, it's nothing just, a, uh, a quick call to Alan Gowcart sort out. Just a, a contribution to the marketing budget, yeah. I think, is what you were talking about there, weren't you? Uh, seven minutes past nine here in the UK. It's Midweek Motorsports, Series 10, Episode 7. And Nick Damon is with us. He's our... Motorcycle racing correspondent. I'm pleased about this. this. this is and he's also our Formula One correspondent. Oh. Yeah, but at the moment he's our motorcycle yes. correspondent. No, because I've shuffled things around. Yeah. Oh, have you? So he's our Formula One correspondent. Oh, oh hooray! Nick, <laughs> while you do spend a lot of time mincing up and down pit lanes around the world yes. for money, there are occasions <laughs> <Pardon? It's> true. <laughs> where you've been to motorsport events as a paying spectator. Yes, not recently, but Could yes. you give an example of such a race, Nick? 1986 F1 Grand Prix at Brands. That's an excellent example. You had a ticket to get in? Yes. And what five-word phrase was on the back of that ticket? Motorsport is dangerous. That's not five words. Well, I know it's that one, though, isn't it? Um, is, it is that phrase I'm trying to get all five words of? Yes. Uh, I don't know the five words. Motorsport can be dangerous. All right, there we are. Uh, what other adjective, beginning with E... Uh, can motorsport also be exciting, expensive? I think expensive. <laughs> yes, and, uh, eclectic, electric, mm. erotic. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> expensive. Yes, uh, but uh, lots of people are trying to cut costs, and yes. the F1 Commission is among them. And this week they've announced uh, some measures to do that, including uh, mm-hmm. restricting. Drivers to Saving a on, single yep. helmet design per That's season. That's going to reduce the cost of uh, paint considerably. Mm. And designers. Uh- Yes, that's true. The problem is it's going to reduce the career opportunities for um I, I have actually decided to give that its a, a an, its own special award, Tim. Go on. It's the Fiddling While Rome Burns Award mm-hmm. for pointless rule that makes no difference and actually slightly annoys people when you could make up a, a, when there are a hundred other rules which could actually help. The only person that's really going to affect is Sebastian Vettel, who has 41 different helmets in a season. Yes. He has one for every but session, think, doesn't but he? But I think he knew about this in advance, because there was a big thing about him and his his helmet design singular for the season. Mm. Um, so he well, you think Bernie might have tipped his favourite uh, <laughs> driver off? Well, think... remember that the F1 commission includes uh, six teams, mm. uh, one I of mean, which is, is Ferrari. The marketing concept of a driver sticking with the same number and the same helmet actually is beneficial more to the driver than to the teams. Yes. Because you can sell driver hats and that sort of thing, as in the NASCAR, as NASCAR model. NASCAR will demonstrate, and, yeah. And driver hats in the colours of helmet design, like Damon Hill. Yeah, but I, so I don't understand why they don't do it, but then common sense is not the biggest thing. On no, but I kind drivers. of... I take Alex Verter's point on this and he tweeted today that... you know He's, he's always had the same helmet, though. Yes, but... That's through choice. Mm-hmm. If he choo- if he ch- chooses to show his support for something or his creative side for something and changed his helmet design, why shouldn't be he be allowed to? And there is, of course, the you know 
what you're going to do now if somebody wants to do something for charity or no, something no, no, don't get me wrong I think it's a stupid rule I'm not backing it up I'm, I think it's a ridiculous idea and that's exactly the right point when Jason decided to turn his uh, Jason, so Jensen decided to turn his his helmet pink for a while mm-hmm. to support uh, cancer charities. Fantastic, you know. It's, you know, and then uh, David Coulthard did the wings for change, and individual drivers have often done little specials for memory. In memory this of is people. not the first time I've said this on this program, uh, and it's not the first time I've said it in relation to Formula One. Although I've said it to other things as well. Um, this is this is the answer to a question that's not been asked, isn't it? Yep. I, I genuinely I like the driver number change. I thought it was a good idea. To this, keep the same drivers. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a good idea. It, it, and it will take five or six years for us to work out that's great because we're still getting used to it. Um, it would this, help if the numbers on the cars were anything near well, visible to the naked eye. Well, at least you can identify B them by their helmets made. now, John. Well, yeah. no, that's true. See? Except they're all multicoloured, so you can't. They're all, they're all a little bit yellow, a little bit blue. Yeah. A little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. What you should have to do, if you're going to make this stick, and by the way, I'm saying this with tongue partially in cheek, I think you should have to register your helmet design and it should have to be approved as being different enough from everybody else's to be allowed. When you've got your 40 points for your super licence, you go into the grid, I'd like a super licence, please, and you have three buckets in front of you. You pull out... Three pieces of paper, three balls like a FIFA draw, and they have three three colour names in them. So you might get red, green, yellow, or purple, puce, and white. And those are the only colours you're allowed in your helmet. No, but I think it should be it should be like um, actors. Love. Well, you, yes, you know, they when can you... only have one person with the same name. Yes, exactly. So your helmet oh, colour, right. so your helmet so colour should be individual. Equity version for yes. racing drivers. Helmet Bear equity. That Helmet equity. Now he did run the Red Bull. <laughs> he did, yeah, program, he did, yeah. <laughs> Bear in mind that most of the uh, most of these drivers have chosen their helmets or the basis of their helmets at the age of eight. When they, they, well, they don't, the, the, they don't have any issue about changing them for sponsor colours and etc. etc. No, I, I think that the uh, Eve yeah. has just uh, written because she's not with us this evening. She's in another part of the building. You should have to register your helmet like clowns do for clown makeup design. And they are all individual. That's, That's I agree. Yeah. And it would be the clowns again. That'd be fine, yeah. And the, the clowns send it in on an egg. Uh, and then it's it's yours. It's theirs forever. Same thing. I like that. I like well, you can, that. You would need an egg because you can buy plenty of uh, base one eighth model helmets if people get painted up. So you just get you get it done by Troy Lee, whoever's doing your design work, and uh, other designers are available, but not as good. Andy Blackmore. Uh, does, he, does he do helmets? He does everything. Oh, I've he doesn't paint the helmets, does he? Uh, I bet he could. Yeah, probably. He's, he's far too clever. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's enough on helmets. <laughs> hey, I'm well, back to Fifty Shades of Grey again. What else has? the F1 commission announced that's been overshadowed um, by this nonsense. It's not helmet cha- nonsense. It's not changed. Yeah, he's the uh, he's he's actually the clown who works for uh, Red Bull. <laughs> he's, he's registered the Red Bull crown paint. Um, uh, they're not going to do any changes next year. Mm. Is that an announcement? Announcing nothing. Yeah, we they've already knew that. They've announced that they did a survey and worked out they could save twenty five percent. No one notice. Was that them? Was it somebody else? Who um, change? Who uh, let's move on from that? Who uh, who's been spending money this week? Ooh. Which Formula One team? Well, some of them are paying their bills, which, is, which has enabled them to actually get the equipment, which means they might be able to get to the third test. Mentioning no names, but you can work out who it is. Force, Force India. India. Is that who's been spending? 
that wasn't who I was thinking of, no. But they have been. <laughs> they have been, yes. They, they've paid some bills. They might be able to build a car now. Uh, oh, no, they've, they've got the car built. It's just the people who had built it for them and laid down the carbon weren't prepared to send it to them without a, a funds being cleared. That's uh, the story uh, there, I'm afraid. So get the comes... car assembled from its component parts, which are strewn across different suppliers. The carbon fibre triangle, yes. Sitting there not being released. Not being released <laughs> until... This is this is exactly what we said, Nick, wasn't it? Yeah. Was it last week or the week before? Two weeks ago, I think. This is the fallout from... The continued fallout from Marussia and from Caterham's uh, non-payment of bills to small suppliers mm. because we have now got people who are in a situation who are seeing to... Uh, I mentioned Sauber and Force India. I hope we haven't sort of set these in motion. Um, but we said that it could affect them. It has affected Force India yep. because they haven't had their bits to put that car together. Bits made, um, though some bits made not released till cash turns up and new bits not made hence the delay and that is actually having a knock-on effect into other parts of the sport because there are only so many yeah, people yeah because f1 does block up most of the small industry at this time of year and it is going deeper into the year than some of the suppliers expected so other projects including some pretty high profile sports car projects are being held up by the supply chain being clogged up with Formula One bits that are behind schedule because monies have not been forthcoming. Mm. So go back to the story that we were going to talk about here. Yes, but you were still still too obtuse for me. Uh, Who's (laughs) Who's spending money? Who's paid their entry fee this week? Oh, Manor have paid their entry fee. They have, yes. Or someone has paid Manor's entry fee. We don't know who it is. Their entry fee is relatively low, of course, because it's done on the the number of points they scored last year plus a basic amount. So they scored two. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone's paid it. It's all paid up, which means which gives them to China to turn up. They're allowed they to miss three, three races. races. Yep. Um, so China would be the third race. So they yeah, could so, miss so China. Can they? What's, what's after China? Bahrain. After China Bahrain. is Bahrain. But obviously, because the uh, cars are transported directly from China to Bahrain, mm. uh, if they don't want to uh, pay Take a very advantage. expensive yep. uh, freight bill of their own. Uh, from the UK, they would have to send their cars to China. Right, right first. here, right now, what is the betting that they will not turn up at all? No, I think they will. I don't what think... have they got? They haven't got a car. No, but they, they can build a car. They haven't got an engine. The engine, they can sort it in money. Right. The they've obviously got money because they've paid their entry fee. Yeah, but the entry fee, and the, the money for the entry fee, and the money for the engine bill are rather different numbers, Tim. Oh, yes. That's like, that's like the fuel cap and the whole car. The... Uh, they haven't got a car. They can't use last year's car. They can't. But they can, theoretically, with waivers that may or may not be coming, use an only lightly adapted version of that car. Right. The question is, the methodology of getting the waivers, is how Force India got painted as the bad guy, um, when in fact, as I explained yesterday, it was just because they put their hand up first out of six, and once they said no, it didn't matter what the other five said. Yes, um, week, not yesterday. Yeah, sorry. Um, so... I think that they can get there. I still struggle to see how, given the massive amount of debt they're carrying. It's not that much. It's, it's getting, it, the oh, point sorry, this is Manor. Sorry, no, no, carry on, carry on. Sorry. Now, here's, here's, uh, here's a, a plan, something that they could be doing. So okay. they send a load of bits to China on the plane. Yeah. Yeah. 
They don't take part in the Chinese Grand Prix because they don't have to. Right. Uh, they use the time that they're in China to further develop and build the car. Mm-hmm. Then they take advantage of the free freight to Bahrain. Right. In Bahrain, they have a car assembled, mm-hmm. which they enter mm-hmm. uh, and get it scrutinised. Right. And That's the issue. And getting it scrutinised, as in presenting it for scrutineering, is enough to say they have taken part in that race weekend. Well, if it fails no. scrutineering? They've got to run in one session. No, they don't. Really? They, they have to fail scrutineering. They That's have to fine. present a car for scrutineering. Um, if it fails, and it will yeah. fail, and yeah. why will it fail, Nick? Uh, the nose design mainly. No, it because it hasn't test. been crash tested. Yeah. Uh, but they will have force majeure for not having crash tested it because they won't have had the opportunity to because uh, it was in it China. Was in China. Mm. Um, but will they then pass the crash test? They but then they'll fail scrutineering again. On well, the after after Bahrain, it's it's big back gap. in Europe, it gets brought back to the UK free of charge, mm-hmm. and then they have three weeks before it flies out to Barcelona. And during that three weeks, they can get it crash tested. But where do they get the money to do this? Well, that's a stunning see. silence there. I haven't been They're going to be answers the, on a postcard. They're going to be off the back of the last car of the grid by two seconds a lap. Yeah. If that, if they get him, the, I, I don't think they'll get him within the cutoff. I, I can't argue that point. The the uh, answers think... on a postcard to where the money's coming to. Throw good money after bad. Dot com. I think if they had been uh, in a position to have a car to go to Melbourne, um, mm. they probably wouldn't be that far off the back because the untested Force India would be pretty slow too. Mm. And the McLaren can only run for three laps. Uh, here's here's a, a slightly broader question. All that aside, whether that is technically achievable, um, what about the morals of it? This is a company that has left... Uh, staff wages unpaid for a reasonable amount of time, more than three months, that have left large sums of money in principally in British motorsport unpaid. They are still ba- they they are still based in the UK. They are still having to avail themselves of suppliers. Honestly, if I I'd be surprised if anybody would do anything for them without being paid cash up front now, as we've just been talking about. And Nick is is giving me looks to much as to say may we of course, um, but still you've got this un these unpaid bills, um, and I just think it looks bad for everybody. I think it looks bad for the sport, and I mean the sport. I don't just mean Formula One. I think it looks bad for the sport, and somebody somewhere has got to stand up and say that. And if it's only me, I'm sorry, then it will only be me. But it would be a disgrace if that team, a disgrace if that team. We're allowed to get back on the grid Sadly, without paying their bills. People turning up under a different name, walking away from a litany of debt in motorsport, is not a unique situation, or even an uncommon one. No, but I at, totally agree with you. At the, at the there's level no that place. we're talking now, about. yeah. I mean, the last, as far as I know, the last team to really walk away with huge debts and just give up and not bother was Pacific. I think of the last team who went and did Simtech, that. Yeah. Um, obviously, teams have gone bust since then. I mean, Arrows. 
went bust in a messy way, but I think at the end of the day, it didn't actually go bust with a huge amount of cash. But um, that was Tom, <laughs> so who knows, and, and the Magic Prince. But uh, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit fishy. And where did all that money go to? Yes, it was donated. Uh, we will um, Russian money always legitimate. We we will quickly talk about uh, some testing in Barcelona. Cool. That's tomorrow. Uh, who exciting. who are we going to see on track? Um, all the teams apart from Force India. Um, and uh, in terms oh, of drivers. Uh, well, we're going to see. Uh, uh, do you know what? Actually, the only person I know for certain is Pastor Maldonado because I know that he's getting. Is it Jolly and Palmer going to do something Jolly tomorrow? Palmer, yes. uh, oh, Susie Wolf starting, isn't Susie she? Wolf. Susie Wolf's getting yes. it now, yeah. Uh, Pascal Verline. And Pascal Verline, who's thrown the Force India last year's Force India, so it's a cash grab. Well, as long as it doesn't have a clutch pedal, it'll be fine. <laughs> it's a cash grab on that one, and I assume that the. the uh, I think it's. Uh, is, it, uh, is it Jensen is driving for McLaren and then. Well, he's obviously in uh, Barcelona because. Uh, uh, he's been taking photographs of himself outside building society. And, then the so. fr- and obviously the Ferrari and the gang will just, uh, they'll be all race drivers everyone else. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll, perhaps we'll see whether Mercedes are prepared. We can go even slightly as quick as they can do this time. Uh, moving away from Formula One. Oh. Uh, to <laughs> Goodwood Festival of Speed News. It's happening. Mazda. Will be the spectacular central feature this year. Right. Yeah. That's one car. What else then? Um, Mazda is the only Japanese manufacturer to have won Le Mans, Le Mans. with never happened actually because I wasn't there 787 Road to Rui 787B B I think you'll find yes. um, that's, it's an important distinction mm, yes numbers of rotors oh, right. in the renowned colours you'd have B rotors and in that car course. will be doing the hill climb Will it? Yeah. Fingers, it, it, fingers it, and ears now. It went out, yeah, and <laughs> as as far afield as Munich, um, it went out at Le Mans, was it last year or no, the year that before? Was two or three years ago, actually. We were still up in the Tribune, you're right, so it was a. In fact, it didn't Patrick Dempsey ago, drive maybe. it? He did, and he, he started his affair with Joe there, so I'm a bit disappointed about that. The And uh, Johnny Herbert upset us all by driving it and getting into the same set of overalls that he won in 1991. That's very annoying. I don't think there's any clothing that I could get into that I wore in 1991, perhaps from a pair of trainers. I can wear my helmet. <laughs> it wouldn't be legal anymore. No, it, it would. would be. So it wouldn't be safe, but it would be legal. There's no uh, end of age date for a helmet, unfortunately. Which is it not for road helmets? No, racing helmets be. obviously do. Yeah, no, road well, helmets, no. Racing helmets be. got extended uh, if there was no obvious damage. It depends what, you, what style of racing you're doing. Laid back. Mm. Certainly, if you want a uh, international license of any sort, then your helmet must be less than five years old. Well, all the helmets have um, still. Uh, it's not. It's not. Them. It's not how old the helmet is. It is the. Um, well, it is as well. Yes. It's the Snell um, certification. That was the word I was looking for. God, yeah, I'm running slow. If you today. keep a helmet in the, in a in constant condition in the dark, it'll sit there forever, get, not getting worse. Leave it out in the light, and it'll go off very quickly. Well, it depends what it is, though. If it, the carbon fibre ones now don't go off, not like the old uh, the old ones. Now, disappointingly, well. uh-huh. uh, Mazda haven't said who's going to drive that car yet. So it'll be Johnny Herbert uh, and Patrick Dempsey. Maybe. I d- actually, I don't know. Patrick Dempsey's more. Portion now, isn't he? Mm. Uh, uh, some telly news. Uh? 
Um, starting this weekend mm-hmm. uh, and running for two weeks. So uh, two episodes. On uh, Sky Sports 1 and Sky 2. Which is? A documentary uh, following Mission Motorsport. Oh, it's, I thought I didn't realise it was on Sky Sports one and two. I think it's it's Sky Sky Sports one and Sky two and Sky two. Thank you. It's also yeah, available okay. on demand. Um, this is the Race of Remembrance uh, program. I didn't realise it was two shows, uh, Tim. I think I thought it was only one forty-five minute show shown several times. I need to read that. Uh, There's a preview in London on Friday. Um, which I'm going to try and get to, so I should be able to report. It's introduced by uh, Richard Parks, who, uh, of course, uh, climbed the highest peaks on all seven continents recently. Good for him. Last Tuesday, he went up all seven of <laughs> them. He's a bit bored. Former former Welsh rugby player. Mm, well done, him. Uh, so you're listening to Midweek Motorsport, and it's coming on to half past... Nine already, and we haven't had Marshall on. We better get him on in a moment. But shall we do a bit of? No, shall we get MP up? Not yet. Now we okay. have a, we have a few other things to do, right? Uh, because uh, very exciting uh, last weekend finish to Rally Sweden. Really? <sighs> yes. Down to the was final it in a sauna? Few, down to the final few meters. Right. Right. Uh, the eventual winner, Sebastian Ogier. Mm. Uh, who beat Thierry Nerville mm-hmm. um, and uh, Andreas Mikkelsen? I'm sure in you're into a rally. very it close really three-way exciting. battle. It was really exciting, regardless of whether or not. Uh, I wasn't excited by it. Did you watch it? Did you watch no. the highlights? No. Yeah, they're available I on saw demand. The, saw the reporting and I thought, well, that's great. It was a close one. Terrific. And uh, what uh, about it is? Is it's just like watching skiing, isn't it? No. <laughs> no, it is. They're timed. They go down a hill, and you have to try and work out who's ahead because it's all on splits. Whereas in the actual proper racing, you can see how close the cars are. Yes. Uh, lots of people crashed. Robert, Robert Kubica. Uh, was one of all of the top ten drivers who crashed. Excellent. Um, other people who crashed, they included Sebastian Ogier, Yari Matti Latvala, Andreas Mickelson. Uh, Chris Meek and uh, Alvin Evans. Alvin Evans. Elvin. All oh, right, I think she said Alvin. Alvin Evans. Elfin, isn't it? It's Elfin. No, Elvin. His dad, isn't it? Elfin's his Gwyndaf dad. Gwyndaf. Gwyndaf. All right. I don't know anything about rally. I'll admit it. It's bus driver. It's school. Elvin. Bus driver in his early days. Elvin. Elvin. <laughs> Elvin. No. Elvin. It's Elvin. Elvin Evans. Uh, Moving on. Other famous <laughs> or other people to crash included Ert Tanak, Hayden Patton, uh, and Martin Prokop. And most of the spectators. Uh, good to know that uh, Chris Suku had clear skies for his run to Glasgow. And uh, over us at 2032, Coventry 2034, and at 2041 at Crew, it started to get cloudy again. But did he get peanuts, though? Yeah. Well, and did he have. Serving a plate or a package? Do you know what? I've got to say, I was with her on that. Really? Yeah. (laughs) I love the fact that she got the the member of staff down on their knees to apologise and then threw them off the plane. If you own an airport... Possibly the abuse of power. Listen, if you own an airline, that's the way to go on. There's no point in owning an airline. She doesn't own it, though. No, but her father does. Her father does. Dad's airline. And she's not going to inherit it now. 
No. You think not? No. no. Going to inherit orange is the only colour as a... Uh, <laughs> orange is the new black as a uh, TV new box black. set. Yeah. Mm. OK, moving on. Uh, we'll do some bike news, I think. We will. Now, well, Troy Bayliss is actually younger than I thought he was. Is he? Yes. And the reason we're seeing this... Because he's 45. He'll be 46 no, no, next thought, month. No, 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 2001 world champion, 2006 world champion, 2008 world champion, on three different types of Ducati. Yep. And he's going... Now reunited with a Ducati. Yes, but one that doesn't work, unlike the previous three. Uh, this is in World Superbikes, and this because... David Their season did... has started. It starts... Well, yeah, the actual, their test session started this week in, in Phillip Island uh, in Victoria, and now it's carried on with the first race this weekend. But in testing, as John was saying, uh, they, the, the works... Uh, Ducati Panigale rider David Gigliano uh, fell off nastily and cracked his um, vertebrae. 90 days he's going to be out. Um, so obviously his back protector must take one hell of a smack to get through that. Uh, if he's going to be out for 90 days, that's more than one race. But Beerless is, Troy Beerless has only been confirmed for the one race yeah, so I mean, far. He's also he's local race. He's a local he, expert. He's there already. You don't have to fly mm. someone over and he's ridden the And he's ridden the Panigale in May last year. So and he's also very good, and he should he he'll, is this he'll bring a chance, numbers in. Is well, no, exactly. Is this a chance for a surprise result for Ducati then and the Panigale? The Panigale's been absolutely awful. It has not done anything for for that brand. Well, what's basically happened, and you know, shouldn't we say this? But since Audi took them over, okay, if you draw a line about how good the race bikes have been, it falls off a cliff. If you draw a line about how good the road bikes have been, it climbs back up that cliff a bit higher. Mm. So they've kind of, they, they've kind of gone, yeah, our road bikes are all really really good. Uh, yeah, we do some racing. Um, <laughs> and it do used you think they reinvested the money they were spending on his wages in uh, their road bike division? No, I think what it is is that the when Audi came in, they 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 took a number of uh, logical steps to improve the quality control and the electrics and everything else. The decision and they wanted to know all about Desmodronic technology. And the decision about the chassis of both the MotoGP and the um, Superbike were taken for marketing reasons to be different. Well, actually, the Panigale works as a road bike. I, 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 I think one of their biggest mistakes was trying to do both MotoGP and No, do you know what? Actually, John, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's it, it. It doesn't work. They were, they had. I suppose that they point to their first couple of years in uh, uh, MotoGP when they were winning winning races, and obviously they did win the championship with uh, Casey Stoner. Was it in seven they won with Stoner or eight? I can't remember. And uh, they were doing okay, well, Superbikes, but. Um, yeah, neither the, the the later iterations of the MotoGP bike, but just the other motorcycle news, they launched a new version of that this week, um, which is a complete uh, redesign rather than the tweaking they've been doing incessantly for the past few years. They've had a complete redesign under their new technical manager. Um, and of course, they, again, they've gone with the, this, this no-chassis-chassis, chassis, monocoque-chassis with the, the road bike Panigale, which makes the Panigale work to really as a road bike, but it doesn't seem to be able to, to work that well as a race bike. I think the days of... But in all fairness, the BMW, which is a fantastic road bike and even a fantastic fast track bike, yeah. wasn't a great race bike. And the Japanese bikes, which lost every single comparative test as a road bike, carried on winning in, in these in these superbike events. But I, I think this is a bit like car racing in that the days of 
touring cars being touring cars, the deers of GT cars being really G even a GT3 car is not a street car, is it? Let's let's be honest. Um, Bentley so similar. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And really, World Superbikes had its deer. There's there's no point in World Superbikes because nobody's really doing proper stock bikes anymore. They're all tuned up. You might as well. Yeah, Do you remember they... the chat we had with the guy who had Norton? Yeah. And said there's no oh, point Norton. in do yeah, there, there's no point in doing. But they've reined back superbikes. Mm, what true. killed superbikes, and I've told said this before on this program, was moving to a control tire. Mm-hmm. Because what used to make superbikes was actually the fact they would go round as a circus, and all the local superbike championships would join in. So in Italy, the Italians joined in, the German German superbikes joined in, and the reason they could do that because all the superbike the, the national championships were on a different tire. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. You can yeah, come in, use your use a tire you know, but try and come in and run a completely different tire. Yeah, run a control tire you're not used to. It makes it, it has made it so the teams won't do them. Fair point. And that's really where the numbers have dropped. Because you, yeah, if you look at those those grids, I went I went to the superbike races in the mid nineties um, when Fogarty was there at Brands Hatch, and there were a genuine, not a Silverstone, a genuine 120,000 people there. God knows how we ever got home. Because everybody was on bikes. Yeah, well, that's true. And. You had a grid. We had the 16 permanent World Superbike riders, and they were bolstered by at least 12, if not 15, British Superbike riders who came in with their bikes in exactly the same spec, yeah. with their own, with whatever tyres they ran point. on, and off they went. And it, but the, in the quest to theoretically save money, they've actually really shot the whole series in the foot. Mm. Um, and of course, it's coincided with the rise and rise of MotoGP as well. And of course, well. Dorna owns them both now, so Dorna is. is uh, not wishing to be Machiavelli, I think what Dorna is trying to do is put some distance between the two of them. Yeah. And it's dumbing down superbikes, and not and that's not actually in a bad way. It's done things like say, right, you've got to look more like the race bikes. They've got they have um, graphics of the lights on them now. Uh, more like the road bikes. More yeah, like yeah. the road bikes. And they're, they're trying. To How rain... long before they go to 600? No, they're, they're going to rain, but they're raining back the electrics. So if they can actually get them to a sort of road bike performance, which is about 210 horse when you've got a race pipe on, that's what I think they want to get to. They actually want to get them to super stock levels, really, yes. on slicks. And then you've got a differentiation. You've got people who are riding the bikes you can buy, near enough. And you've got the prototypes. In With the completely mo- different bodywork, completely different tyres, completely different shocks. Still a lot closer than... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, but I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate there. Um, anyway, going back to Troy Bayliss, uh, is he going to be able to do anything with his Panigale that uh, Davide... Couldn't. I would think that round Philip Island he'll get a better result. We'll never know, but I'm pretty certain he'll get a better result than Giuliano was going to get. Okay. Is he likely to equally likely to fall off and break his back? No. Excellent. Let's move on because I have a jingle okay. to play. Jersey. Because everyone's favourite event is back in the news. Everybody's what? Favourite event. event is back in the news. Is it how? Is it is it New less choicey? Is it less dead than it was? It's the 2016 Formula One Grand Prix of New York. No. Or Grand Prix America. Really? Yeah. Grand Prix. Is it America. still a Grand Prix for F1, or is it now a Grand Prix for pedal cars? Uh, the for, a Formula One race in New Jersey will happen next year. Says. Says uh, a man called Michael Williams. Right. He's and he the, is what? He's the chief marketing officer of Grand Prix America. Well, he's not like, in fairness, he's not like to say we've just put this company together, but it's a pointless exercise. 
<laughs> that is true. He's got to be slightly bullish about it. I didn't even know anyone even they even bothering to carry on talking about it. Well, Burnley's still very keen for it Have to happen. Have they managed to pay off the Teamsters or something then? Well, no. I, do you know what? It's this is more. I think again, and taking years of working with you into uh, 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 under advisement, yeah. Nick. This is a stalking horse for quarter. They need to get their act back together and start spending some of the huge amounts of money that they get from the local authorities on promotions, marketing, and putting a better job together at the track. Wouldn't surprise me, but... Or giving it more to Bernie. If I were looking for a more credible uh, stalking horse, I would probably try and find an area that might have a considerable chance in heck of holding a race in 2016. But it's sexy. It's sexy to talk about an F1 race in New York. But it's not in New York. It's in New Jersey. All right, looking, but it, looking across the water. It, it would have the backdrop of New York. Well, yeah. Valencia had the On backdrop of a fish village, and it was equally rubbish. It's, 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 you, know, it's, you could obviously just put a big green screen up exactly. around any track and project you whatever you want. Stick a tra- go down to Paul Ricard that's got nothing, yeah. bung up, put green around the whole lot. You can you can drive through from Melbourne to Paris to London on different corners if you just want a backdrop. TM real that immediately. <laughs> TM that immediately. So it's back on, Tim, is it? I don't think it was ever off. It was so just, has t- it was has just not got, on the 2015 calendar. Has Nick got the watch under false pretenses? Then? No, it was the 2013 calendar, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think it was earlier than that, wasn't it? No, I think it was 13, I think. Mm. This has been talked about for Since a while, to, to the extent that I think it's four or five years since I went to New York, and I went to look at the proposed course... That's your fault, is it? Mm. <laughs> yeah, with all the potholes. <laughs> uh, Autosport, Va- sorry, I've, I've neglected the collective tonight, but Autosport Vandal says, does the, does the New Jersey Grand Prix count as helmet nonsense? It <laughs> 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 does. Uh, lots of praise for Philippe Albuquerque uh, earlier on and Sam Hignett, thank you. Um, and a cat tweeting as well tonight. Uh, really? Andrew... Yes, the the bird. Bird. yes. <laughs> the, uh, there's no cats here, of course. The um, uh, Andrew says it's Grand Prix America and the Circuit of Wales, not exactly the same thing. No, definitely well, very different. They can all hold their Grand Prix at Silverstone, though. Mm-hmm. Are these True. Silverstones within the same country? As well. The UK. <sighs> Silverstone's not in the US. United Kingdom. Um, all right, uh, let's. Uh, t- I think time for Marshall Pruitt. Anyway, we're talking about things American, aren't we? I think it, it is. I'm, I will. Um, I will point you in the direction though of uh, a link that uh, Rethmo Racer has put onto uh, the oh, yeah, onto Facebook of a interview with uh, uh, Michael, whatever his name was, uh, about his uh, role as Chief Marketing Officer. Excellent. Of Grand Prix America, Michael P. Williams. That's him. A lot of uh, a lot of chat about uh, the Manor F1 story, uh, and including a spirited uh, discussion about who actually owns Manor, and it is the Sasha Trust, as uh, Eve points out, and Sebastian Tenka says, as in Sasha 
Cheglikov, wife of Marussia Motorsports and Communications owner Andrei Cheglikov. Well, you could say that, Sebastian. <laughs> we could only speculate. Good evening to the man from racer.com. Uh, that would be Marshall Pruitt. MP, how are you doing, mate? I'm uh, doing okay, Heidi. My brain is more like lukewarm oatmeal than usual, thanks to a lovely... Uh, flu or cold that my wife gave me, but you know we're we're giving and loving like that in the Prude household. So I'm here and uh, cranking away, brother. Lots uh, lots going on this week. Just a, a quick thought from you about the uh, the New Jersey Grand Prix. Uh, trying to drum up some support as we just heard there uh, from Tim. Is this on anybody's radar apart from the people who are trying to get it into the public domain? Uh, Heindy, this is, it just reminds me of hearing about, you know, the latest Spice Girls reunion, and you go, (laughs) okay, great, you know, I mean, the fourth time, fifth time, look, if it happens, great, but good lord, knowing the state of finances uh, in motorsports today, uh, I just don't see how that happens, and nothing against Leo or the good folks who want to make things happen, but... How's this? If and when it happens, I will look forward to going, and it'll be great. But you know, this patient has been on life support, and they—they they sh- we thought they shut off the machines. So when we hear that someone's determined to plug the sucker back in, you go, "Hey, good luck. Hope it happens." But man, uh, I'm just not going to get my hopes up. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about some things that have happened uh, for sure. <laughs> Um, and we'll start um, slightly unusually when we talk to you. We'll start with a bit of uh, of stock car racing. It, it, we're coming round to the Daytona 500, um, the start of the Sprint Cup season. Of course, they start with one of the biggest races of the year, same as we do with the 24 hours at Daytona for the Chidi United Sports Car Championship. Some controversy about qualifying, and uh, the the. The first two are locked in. We've got the uh, the jewels coming up to lock everybody else in, but multiple qualifying rather than single car qualifying, uh, causing a bit of strife uh, at Daytona. That you had the I don't want to say inevitable because I guess it, it doesn't have to happen, but big crashes, be it in, in practice or otherwise, cars getting torn up. You had some cars then also. Uh, uh, failing inspection uh, afterwards, so I don't know, Heidi. Uh, I don't actually. I guess this is dismissive. No matter how I try and dress it up, I don't care. Um, the, I we know that the last ten minutes of the Daytona 500 will be exciting. Uh, for me, at least, almost everything leading up to it has become so much of a put-on production with uh, an almost uh, impossible-to-describe qualifying format, uh, changes, seeming changes to that format every year. Um, again, I, I, they everyone competing in that series takes things incredibly seriously, as you would expect. I would just mm-hmm. say as someone who would be characterized as more of a, a uh, little more than a casual fan of NASCAR, uh, I take the other rounds very seriously when we're talking about speed weeks and the duels and the this and the that, for me at least, it's like, okay, guys, it is just come to the point where they squeeze every single moment uh, out of it, make every dollar possible. It's just a, a bit of a crazy, overly produced production, in my opinion. So um, I have 
read up on it. I've seen the crash highlights because it's really hard to turn on ESPN or anything else without cars flying through the air. But beyond that, Heidi, uh, I just don't take this stuff very seriously until we yeah. get to Sunday. Uh, because before that, it's practice. They don't um, keep score properly. No, that's right. That's right. Um, in fairness, in the duels that do, and I, I have to say, I do quite like the duels. Unfortunately, we've uh, sort of lost any will to live in terms of getting any decent NASCAR coverage in this company. It's, it's been on the same channel for ages and ages, which sits outside of a, of all of the packages. And they've just had their deal uh, re-upped uh, this year for another three years, I think. Um, so that's... And in fact, um, there's been a change in who does the NASCAR uh, deals now. It's gone to IMG, where it used to be ESPN. And uh, we've managed even to lose the hour-long highlights that we used to get on BT Sport. Then we'll no longer, uh, we'll no longer see those. Uh, so it's going to be more difficult for us to follow in the UK. But thank goodness, Mobile One the Grid starts soon, so at least I'll get to see some highlights. Um, let's mm. let's let's talk about let's talk about IndyCar and let's talk about body kits. Um, controversy there as well. Finally, we get to see an IndyCar body kit, and it's not to everybody's taste, is it? Uh, you know, Heindy, uh, I think you and, and our, our listeners know me enough to realize that I'm definitely a glass half full guy. Yeah. And I wanted, absolutely wanted the arrow kit to, or at least the first arrow kit that we saw. We can assume that the Chevy and the Honda are going to be close enough to where uh, they're you know more similar than dissimilar. But I wanted it to look remarkable. Uh, I wanted it to be uh, a difference maker visually. There's the whole engineering side, which we can get into, but just in terms of, hey, look at the race car. Does it appeal to you? We know that the the stock Delarty W12 just deserves its own wing in the uh, pantheon of ugly racing cars. And after seeing the rendering, um, after, you know, I'd heard some descriptions of the car from uh, some uh, folks who'd seen it. Uh, it'd been described to me as, you know, maybe a little bit of DTM style uh, treatment to the car with flicks and this and that's and all sorts of ways to bend air. That visually conjured some pretty interesting stuff. So I went into uh, seeing the car for the first time with a picture in my head uh, that the actual renderings just did not live up to. And I guess... I can I don't say this placing any blame on Chevy, nor will I when I see Hondas, but I, it, you, it's not their fault. Two quick no. things: one, uh, they the rules prohibited any sort of modification to the the tub, the nose, the shock cover, the front of the car, which I think uh, to the the. I guess chassis itself minus the wings so that limited any real ability to dress that part of the pig up the other thing that really impacted uh, if not completely uh, hamstrung them from doing anything to make the car look radically different is IndyCar said hey you can do new side pods but you have to retain the stock radiator location and ducting so essentially, while they could make a new outer panel, uh, they could not modify what was beneath it. And knowing that, um, frankly, in terms of real, true, hey, we're going to change stuff up and do different looking things, they've been painted into a corner where, yeah, it'll look a little bit different, but uh, it, for the most part, looks like a DW12 with uh, as many of uh, Midweek Motorsport Collective uh, readers have said, uh, bits and bobs and flicks tacked on. 
but it's essentially the DW12 with uh, a bunch of stuff thrown on top of it. Um, so I, I mention all that hindy because due to the rules, Chevy and Honda were not allowed to truly do something that made the car look better. And if and when IndyCar opens that up and allows them to, great. We could actually see a car that's visually appealing and performance-minded. Right now, it's essentially a DW12 with very, very minor um, tweaks to it. Yeah, and it hasn't enhanced its looks, as you uh, as you rightly uh, as you rightly said, um, which I think it's a missed opportunity, and I think that's what you're seeing as well. I, you know, we we are both old enough to remember. Um, when indie cars looked all right, not massively different. It's not like they look like the difference between an Aston Martin V8 Vantage and a Corvette or a Ferrari or a Porsche. Absolutely not. But there were more than the odd subtle differences between uh, the cars in the early days of IRL. And you know, it was uh, I, th- I, th- I, l- I yearn for those days. I'm I'm with you on that. A um, couple of other things that's come through. Oh, actually, uh, any any more um, any more scuttlebutt about who's going where, drivers wise? There's still one or two things that need to be sorted out in Indy cars. Yeah, there are a few things there, Sandy. So you you tell me when to shut up because there's plenty to talk about. Um, So we had James Jakes confirmed in the second Schmidt car. I love James. He's a wonderful guy. I can tell you that uh, I think there was more than one person uh, that was a bit disappointed to learn of his signing in that car. Now, granted, I'd uh, heard uh, that he's actually had that uh, seat uh, locked away for almost 10 days, maybe two weeks before he tested at New Orleans with them last week. So in theory, he's had that seat for a while, but there are a number of drivers, especially young Connor Daly, who many wanted to see a new face, young face, get a shot compared to someone like James, who again, no discredit to him, but he's been in the series for a couple of years, went away and is now coming back in terms of a narrative and opportunities. Um, I don't know if we're going to see a lot more out of him than we have in the past. Regardless, uh, he was able to pay for the seat, so it's his. Uh, we have a couple of key openings left, two openings, at uh, Dale Coyne Racing. There could be a driver, potential full-season driver, testing for that team Monday and Tuesday of next week. Uh, I'm in the midst of finding out whether I can put that in print. Uh, Justin Wilson, scary. Uh-huh. Very scary for a lot of us, and I, I apologize. I, I should have. There was a period at the end of the Dale Coyne sentence. Um Justin Wilson, someone who uh, there are some of us that are very scared, uh, scares maybe overstating things, but we're concerned that one of our favorite drivers, most capable drivers, mm-hmm. uh, could be. We don't know if he's going to be in a car, Hindy. Um, he's been he's been working. The Andretti Autosport folks have wanted him and have been trying to get him in a seat for quite some time. Uh, through nothing to do with Justin, uh, that takes money take sponsorship and there have been some challenges in making that money materialize if it does i think we are going to see the uh the driver nicknamed as badass in a front-running car um but if that doesn't happen and there are enough questions to be concerned i don't know where if and where the merry-go-round stops and uh, he jumps off into another opportunity you could say dale coin where it could go back to but keep in mind he left 
He he didn't mm-hmm. just leave to look at other opportunities. He left. So a uh, bit of bit of a question mark there. Um, we saw Sage Karam confirmed uh, for St. Pete only in uh, the fourth yeah. Ganassi car. We uh, we know that they're working on, they hope to confirm a longer engagement for the lad in or around St. Pete. Some of the deals are working on, hopefully will come to fruition by then. And, you know, frankly, Hindy, at that point, we're starting to get down to uh, very final opportunities. Um, second KV car, for example, Stefano Coletti really impressed everyone in his test uh, alongside Bourdais at New Orleans. Uh, from what I understand, he has about half the budget to offer. Uh, can the team make up the other half, or are they willing to put in the other half? Who knows? I know that Bourdais, who's not necessarily prone towards flowery praise uh, with teammates, said, we, we need to have him. This kid needs to stay here. So Anyways, we'll see what happens there. There's a great KV seat open. There are two good uh, Dale Coyne seats open. Don't know if Andretti's going to be three or four cars. Uh, they're trying to do a fifth. We've heard that Zach Veach might have uh, found some more money to possibly take a uh, full-season opportunity. So uh, watch the space, Andy. Uh, at least in the American Open Wheel, there's still some big question marks. Uh, and can't wait for that season to get started, if I'm honest. Uh, and finally, for you, MP, uh, we had the what has now become known as the uh, David Hennemeyer Hansen question, uh, <laughs> the petition that was uh, started by DHH, uh, and uh, we had Bo Barfield, race director from INSA, on Impressive. Uh, the form. He was. I thought he was great. I'm not saying that everybody's going to agree with what he said, but there was a strong undertaking from, and uh, uh, in fact, a, a, a complete undertaking from Bo that they would have a look at this. There seemed to be a rapprochement between the two sides there, and uh, there was uh, a bit of Twitterage, Twitter love going on between those two. We've now got an answer to the question of pit lane safety and security and potential of rules changes from IMSA. And that answer is, Marshall? Uh, no changes. Uh, no major changes. How's this? They, uh, they sent out a, um, I don't know what you want to call it, Heidi, an affirmation, per se, mm-hmm. of... Um, uh, the rules, uh, their pit lane rules, what they look at, what they consider to be a penalty and not a penalty. There is some clarification in there. Um, went out this morning to all teams. And again, I mean, if you've, if you've had a chance to look at it, look through it. If not, uh, in essence, it says, hey, so all the stuff we told you about how we do things, well, we still do things this way or that way. And uh, in case you had any question about what we consider to be uh, legal or a foul, um, this is what we're looking for during a pit stop in terms of safety legal and safety bad. So uh, does that mean nothing else will happen? I don't know. Um, I don't think that uh, DHH's efforts have been blighted or dismissed by IMSA. Uh, I think, if anything, IMSA has essentially said there weren't a lot of holes or gaps in our rule book, at least. Um, here's Let us give you a stronger indication of how things will be enforced. So, again, uh, it's one thing to put these items in print. It's another thing to determine the level in which you officiate them and you actually press them into action. At least for how I interpreted what they sent out today, Heindy, it was a, this is, we're not doing anything different. We're just reminding you that uh, this is how we're going to apply our rules. Um, So maybe, at least short-term effect, uh, David's efforts uh, have caused IMSA to uh, maybe pay a more watchful eye on uh, what goes down at Sebring and beyond on pit lane. Hmm. 
I don't think he's too impressed by that from what I've seen. And one or two other drivers are now talking about... I think the conversation will continue. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, It's moved on now to seatbelts being done properly. And and that's something that uh, I, I do think... There's an issue about defined tight. I know when I've raced, you pull your straps down as hard as you can as you drive out of Park Fermier, you pull them down again when you're on the grid, and you pull them down again when you fire the engine, and you keep tightening them up as much as you can. Define tight. If they're fastened, they're, and they're not tight, they're not doing you any good. I accept that, but uh, I, I think we're getting in... I think we're getting into an interesting debate that needs to be a debate that isn't going to be fixed in two weeks, uh, is, is what I'm going to say on that. And and maybe just to last thing to mention on this hindy is again, what are we talking about at at its core? The need to improve safety methods. I don't think anyone would argue with an idea on hey how to make things safer. That's a different conversation than how are we going to police and officiate. And it seems to me that if there is a disconnect, uh, some of the general questions that uh, or suggestions that David was making, hey, let's decouple tire changes from refueling, yes. extend the length of the stops to make everything safer because you're not necessarily feeling a time crunch if you're doing both. I think that has maybe been uh, overlooked uh, in favor of saying, well, this is how we're going to police things. And you go, well, I don't know if policing was the heart of what David was trying to say. So, you know, for me, I think how do we do things in a safer manner, um, make sure that everyone goes home, you know, happy, well, I don't know, happy, but at least healthy. Um, I'm always a fan for that as for getting into, okay, and we're going to have dedicated people who watch the in-car cameras to see exactly how snug things were. And then we're going to penal. <laughs> I mean, you know, at what level do you say there are more people uh, tucked away looking for fouls and penalties uh, than we have the actual people trying to run the race? Um, I don't know if it just becomes too much of a uh, law and order exercise. MP, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, more from MP on racer.com, of course. Uh, he has been posting um, just huge amount of stuff on there. Uh, DailySportsGuard.com as well, doing their usual job. And thanks very much to Graham Goodwin for joining us earlier on. Time for a pointless press release of the week, Tim. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. And it's back to the British Touring Car Championship. Race ace Andrew Jordan loves his MG off the track as much as he does his race-prepared MG6 on the tarmac. Andrew contested Dunlop MSA British Touring Car Championship this year in an MG888 racing MG6. While off the track, he's behind the wheel of an MG3. What? When he really, really has to be because someone's following you with a large camera? I'm going to read a quote now from Andrew Jordan. Ever since he was a small boy, I've ever wanted to run an MG3. And after the quote... Mm-hmm. I would like you to give me just two words, two adjectives, the first two adjectives that come into your mind after hearing this quote. Okay? Right. Uh, in Ball fact, I'll let, you, ad- I'll let you Ball do one each. One for you, John, one for Nick, we're really okay. short of time. I don't want this to sound too gushing and fake, but the MG3 is probably the nicest road car I've ever used. Gushing. Fake. 
is the correct answer. And that's what we've got time for. <laughs> and we'll be back at the same time next week. Thanks to Tim and to Nick. The responsible adult was Eve and the homemade pasta and lasagna tonight was fantastic. Thank you. To you lot for listening and for tweeting in. It's been great tonight. Some very good <laughs> comments both on Twitter uh, and on The Collective. I'm pleased to hear Chris Suku made Glasgow okay. We'll be back at 8 o'clock next week but for now there's no time to explain. The Llama has returned from the Antipodes. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.